0: Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is the final episode of Season 2. This recording is of the 2022 Ohio Poetry Day celebration, which was hosted virtually by the OPA. I had the very great pleasure of interviewing this year's Poet of the Year, Erica Paulson, who won with her astounding book, Hunger, published by the Finishing Line Press in 2021. Seriously, you should check it out. Um, I, I have to say that coming to the end of Season 2... Uh, it's emotional. It's, this is a wonderful project. I love working on it. And I want to thank everybody who has listened and expressed their appreciation for the podcast. I hope you keep listening. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to work on. And I would also like to thank my wife, Sarah Jusek, who helps uh, with the editing does say <laughs> does the editing, um, Peter Krushnit, who has the, who did the music for, uh, the podcast, um, Chuck Sammons, who is, um, among many other hats, he's, uh, our, the webmaster, he handles all the digital backdoor stuff that need, that we need help with. And of course, Ricky Santer, who is the show's producer and she helps with questions and finding guests and any, anything else that this, this podcast wouldn't be anything without her help. Um, so yeah, uh, season three will start the first episode of season three will air uh, on January 12th of 2023 so look out for us then and uh, without further ado here is the final episode of season two thank you <music> For those of you who don't know, Erica Paulson, she was named the 2022 Ohio Poet of the Year by the Ohio Poetry Day Association. Last year, she received a Pushcart nomination and was the Slippery Elm Poetry Finalist. Her work has appeared in Thimble Literary Magazine, the Northern Appalachia Review, the Dayton Anthology, Sheila Nagig, and elsewhere. She was the winner of the 2020 Dayton Metro Library Poetry Contest and has been featured on NPR's Conrad's Corner. Her work is also part of the Cincinnati Museum Center's permanent collection of pandemic memorabilia. Erica is a lifelong Ohioan who finds inspiration in her work in the fertile fields of her home state, drawing on a deep connection to the surrounding world. Erica, thank you again for joining us. And could you please start us with a poem?
1: Of course. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to read um, the title piece. I have my book. Maybe it won't be blurred from the book today, and it's called um, Hunger. I had a nose ring my baby would touch while he was at my breast, his little finger pointing at the small white crystal on my nose while he suckled. He was so proud of his discovery, looking up as if to let me know it was there, his eyes pouring into mine and the milk I made for him dribbling out the corner of his mouth we were in such abundance don't ever question your hunger in this world or whether the prophet lied when he said to open your mouth wide and it will be filled with good things don't you know he too stood like abraham in the darkness Staring into the depths of his aloneness, the constellations glittering on the face of the night sky, a billion stars gazing back at him, his whole body dripping with light.
0: Mm-hmm. That's very, very, image- it's beautiful. Um, okay, so I want to talk about, let's start with the award. It's amazing. Um, congratulations again <laughs> for like a third you. time.
1: Thank you so <laughs> um, much
0: you are so you're the poet of the year for 2022 how did that happen and how has that changed how you view yourself as a poet
1: um how does that happen that is something i i think i've asked myself a time or two since i um found out about the award um and i i think it's probably a you know a little bit of luck and um and a, and a lot of hard work honestly i Um, put a lot of work into these poems. And I have a very strong literary community that I'm a part of that um, I have relied on. And um, I worked with my mentor, Pauletta Hansel, in the creation of the book, Um, and she is a poet who has really influenced me as a, as a writer myself. And also I'm a big fan of her work and, um, and David Garrison, who's another one of my mentors. So, um, you know, the, the, it, you know, and I don't know, it's, it's amazing to see my work getting out there. Um, it feels really good, um. Also, you know, as a, as a doula and a birth worker, it's, um, it's really neat to see some of the topics that I've addressed in the poem. I feel like the voice of the universal mother has, is getting her time at the podium. And I'm, I'm really, um, really happy about that. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely changed the way that I view myself as a writer. Um, and probably, you know, we'll continue to change that especially being an ohio girl you know i was born and raised here i was born in wood county um i've been you know i've i've traveled all over the world but i've lived here all my life this is my home this is you know these are my people so this place um my my work is heavily rooted in place and in my experiences here and my work here and the people here so specifically you know to be the ohio poet of the year has a lot of meaning to me i feel very very grateful
0: yeah that's a huge charge right out the gate that you made which is which is excellent um <laughs> thank you so it was for the, your your collection hunger and let's let's talk about that and where did that come from what is it about and what do you want people to know when they pick it up
1: um well i started i mean i feel like i've been writing all my life Um, But I really started, I I came back to poetry after the birth of my children. Um, And the experience of being pregnant and giving birth um, had just a profound effect on my life. It started changing the way I view everything. You know, I I felt like... um, it changed the way that I interacted with the world. I I saw poetry gestating in the leaves and I had to write it down and um, my children became some of my greatest teachers and they would say things and I would write that down. And so, you know, everything was kind of alive and electric. And And then I, you know, I went through some really hard times too. I have two children that had some pretty significant Um, chronic medical conditions. And um, my first marriage ended. And so it was at that time that I I started writing to save my life. I mean, poetry was a form, it went, it kind of went from like an artistic form of expression to, you know, that like need to stay connected to myself and to my world. And um, I started to feel the need to connect with other writers in the community. And so I took a class with women writing for a change, and um, several classes through Thomas Moore University's Creative Vision Program, which is where I met Pauletta and several other incredible writers, some of who are here today. And um, writing in community became very important to me. And so you know, as I am going through those experiences, and poems are coming out of that, and um, I you know I I started looking at poetry, you know, at, as I'm. I'm changing my interaction with my world and with poetry is changing. And that kind of really developed that sense of of hunger and what that is to me. You know, the hunger is... Um, you know, it's passion, it's that it's the part of you that is always hungry, and yet never satisfied at the same time. And so, you know, although the book is, is largely influenced by my work as a doula, and my experience as a mother and my children, it also is about a hunger that we all share, or, you know, birth in in its many forms and life. And so, um, I feel that, you know, that, that is something that anybody can, can grab onto and anyone can relate to. So that, that's kind of where that it kind of like, and I, I feel like that sometimes with poetry where it's like, I'm in, I'm engaging with it and I'm kind of, I'm understanding it, like as, as it's happening, you know, it like the hunger um, even, you know, the title for the work kind of came after the work was already together. I didn't start with a title. So um, it's like, a it's, an exploration for me it's that experience which you know is exciting and um so yeah
0: okay all right so you you're the theme emerged over time as you were working on these poems uh what were the first things that you wrote about
1: the first things that I wrote about were um the first poems in the book which are about my children um you know, growing them in my body, um, bringing a human being through your body, bringing that human being to your breast and keeping them alive. I mean, that, you know, that kind of stuff was like, um, just had a profound effect on me. And, um, I began to kind of see those metaphors in other parts of life. I felt like that whole experience changed so much in me. So it, it started with, um, birth and that was the first, type of birth but then the other births like as the book evolves it kind of gives birth to itself and you notice that there are new themes that um are are born or you know appear in the work because there's many different levels of that for for anybody for any person
0: sure yeah and and was it it must have been helpful then to have a range of of workshopping attendees some of who were mothers and can relate to that type of stuff and others who were not and were like, this is or is not coming through?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say like, you know, you don't like, not everybody is a mother, you know, some of, some of the people who really, you know, part of workshopping is like looking at a, a mirror of your poem. If that, if that person is showing up, that's a very generous thing to do, to be able to read someone's poem and kind of connect with the poem and, and mirror that poem back to them. Cause they're, they're telling me like how they've connected with that poem, whether they're a mother or not. And some of them are, are not women and some of them are not mothers, Um, so, you know, I I don't, you know, it isn't so much like that you, you have to be a mother or you have to be a woman, or you have to have given birth to a child to understand the significance of birth and being born. Being born is something that we've all done. We've all come through the body of a woman. So, you know, even though those are our pre-memories, those are the things that are imprinted on our brains. And in some, in some way, I feel like we can still kind of connect with that, um, through mediums like poetry.
0: Sure, yeah, and and what literary techniques did you find to be helpful to convey that? I mean, your imagery is and your your image you you have really strong imagery and symbolism because I think that aura that you described where you're you're feeling the environment, those are present <laughs> in your poems. Like you, they're they're pronounced and you they're they're vibrant. Um, what else did you find useful while you were writing?
1: Um well i mean i'm a i'm a narrative poet so i i tell a story um so connecting with a story um asking You know, like Roberta Schultz, who's here today, is is someone who's told me, ask the poem what it wants to be, ask the poem what it's saying to you. So a certain amount of curiosity, because I think, you know, it passion really fuels, you know, that that drive to for me to write a poem. That's how I express that. But it also is balanced by attentiveness because passion in and of itself isn't very useful but you know attentiveness is another power that is very grounding and so being able to connect to the story um and then you know other it's you know craft like learning craft um paletta is a, a great teacher when she talks about craft because you know and And I also like I went to school for creative writing, so I, I learned a lot of those things in school. But then, you know, several years later, it's kind of like I'm learning them again, and I've changed a lot, and I'm I'm kind of making some connections of like, oh, this, you know, this this craft is taking on new meaning to me. So I feel like sometimes if I'm working with a poem and I just like I can't connect to, I I know there's something in there, you know, there's like a little nugget of something inside there, but. It's like I'm looking under the hood of my poem and I see this engine and it's not really things that something's not working right, but there's something in there and I have to dig into it. I mean, using form is something that I have felt to be very, um, like a very effective tool for connecting to, you know, whatever sort of that, that wild energy is that calls a poem into existence. So, um, I'll use, you know, like a pantoum or a sonnet or, um, you know, Paulette has um, taught us to use seven by sevens and, um, you know, really using that form as a container. If you can, if I can take like a poem that is just not really working and kind of put it into the container of that form, sometimes I feel like it really frees the poem. I, ha- I brought one of those examples with me. Can I read it to you?
0: Oh, please. I would love to hear it.
1: So this was a poem that I, I was struggling with, and I put this one into a pantoum, and this is called Wood County Pantoum. When I left my sister crying by the train tracks, it was early in the morning, and the darkness was around her shoulders by the train tracks, heavy like a quilt left in the yard overnight. And the darkness was around her shoulders, and we had no time to say goodbye. We felt heavy like a quilt left in the yard overnight. She held her baby. He was smiling. We had no time to say goodbye. We felt the train approaching like thunder before a storm. She held her baby. He was smiling. It was early in the morning, the train approaching like thunder before a storm. When I left, my sister crying.
0: Hmm. It, it does a really nice job of reinforcing not just I the think emotions, it's the
1: repetition but... of like the lines like they when you hear the repetition it kind of the poem is telling you what it wants to say you know, yeah. you know you're able to kind of connect with like yeah that that is what I wanted to say that's what I was trying to do
0: interesting interesting I, I know this is going to sound like a crazy connection but like is yeah. you you help you help uh, women deliver their children and you did you helped a birth last night you were saying that like you might yeah. have been doing this in from a different location because you didn't know if you're going to be there um, do you think that repetition is something that might be born out of the delivery process because there's a lot of repetition involved in that with contractions yeah. and breathing and
1: yeah I really like that you say that actually I I do I mean when a woman is giving birth, um, you know, or any animal, like, I don't know if you ever had like a cat that, you know, gave birth to kittens. And a lot of times they want to like run under the, under the front porch or, you know, your dog wants to go in a dark closet because there's something about being in a tight, dark, safe place that allows us to kind of be vulnerable and to give something, to let something go, to release something and, and women are the same way. I mean, they, uh, women want to be able to kind of stay in that, um, in that safe sort of like repetitious environment. And um, I definitely feel like there's a lot of connections between my work as a doula where, you know, I'm on, I'm not on the outside. I'm not the one who's giving birth, but I am, I, you know, like doulas are professionals, just like a doctor or a nurse or a you know a child life specialist a midwife um so they we have our own scope of practice in labor and delivery but you know in poetic terms a doula is kind of like a sherpa you know somebody who knows the territory
0: <laughs> i mean
1: right I mean, for and I'm sure there's people here that are like, I don't really know what a doula is, but that's how I think about it. You know, like my lungs were made for this work. I know this territory. I can can take a lot of this stuff on my back and I can guide you. You have to go through that process, but I can be there with you because I've been there before and I know that place and I, I, I can help you. You tell me where you're going and, you know, that's different every time because, you know, people change women change births are different every time for every baby but you know and, and in relation to the poem like I can be the doula for that poem like I can be able to kind of be curious and kind of engage with it and you know just kind of be like what well, where are we going let's go there and then on the other hand, I think, you know, I'm also the mother of that poem, you know that that poem has chosen my body to come into and to to grow inside and to gestate and to become something that doesn't belong to me. Um, like my 19 year old daughter is here, she's her own woman. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm a woman talking to a woman about her childhood, which isn't, that's kind of wild sometimes to me, because I feel like she's still like this little tiny girl. And yet, you know, she has become something and she's, you know, she's, she's becoming, you know, what, who, who she will be And a poem is kind of like that to me, where it becomes something, you know, and it calls, it calls us into itself. It's, you know, it's like a universal language.
0: That's fascinating. the 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 Sherpa description was really really cool. Um, could you? I'm still fascinated by it. Um, could you please explain what a doula is for anybody who's watching that may not know?
1: Sure, a doula is um, a professional labor and delivery advocate. We provide informational, emotional, and physical support during pregnancy, during birth, and then in the early postpartum. Um, so we're part of the der- the birthing team. We don't do anything medical, so we're not providing any of that aspect of the care, but we really do hold space for the fact that a birth is not just a physical event for a woman that it is a you know a body, mind and soul event that it stays with her and affects her for the rest of her life. So the doula is there to to hold space for that to to care for that to that's our focus that's our attention that's what that's what we can provide when we are a part of the birth team.
0: Cool, and I like this. I like the idea of you like gestating these poems and then delivering mm-hmm. them and like letting them be what they want to be. What poem? And earlier you talked about the advice that Roberto had given you, where you know let find out what the poem wants, not what you want it to be. Um, during this creative process, what poem that you have would you say made the most significant progress or surprised you the most? The end result, once you found what it was.
1: Um, I, I can read one. Can I read one first?
0: Please? Absolutely.
1: Okay. Um, There's a poem here. And you and I talked about this one briefly, but it's called midwifing loss. So I'll read the poem first. A pregnant mother lost a baby at 14 weeks and buried the fetus behind a woodpile in her backyard. Before that, she asked if I would see his small body inside a blue ceramic bowl in her fridge and how the baby's arm moved at the elbow hinge when she touched him. He had a torso and legs and two palms that would have clenched into fists when he cried. Who can bear the shape of loss delivered in a paralyzing gaze in all the ways it would have looked like you? From the small, cold mouth of survival, we hinge at the joint and move. Let us remember how we would have held on, where we would have loved. So this poem surprised me. You know, I I am a narrative poet, so this is an experience that really happened where um, someone lost a baby and I don't know if you, you probably don't know, but today is pregnancy loss and awareness day. So it's a day set aside to, um, hold space for women who have lost a baby. And at any stage that can be a very difficult loss for a woman. And I, you know, part of our jobs as birth workers, and this would include midwives, doulas, any, anyone who works in labor and delivery is to be a part of those births too, which are losses. And, you know, like uh, birth, a, a miscarriage or a loss has similar pain. It has a, it has a delivery. So as I'm writing the story of this experience that I had where a woman in a, that's a very vulnerable thing for her to ask me to look at this baby that, you know, I lost and he was so small and look, his arm moves and, you know, look, he had hands and, you know, and I you know, you have to go there, you know, you have to be in that. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I I see that. I see those arms. I see that. And I can see her grief. And so as I'm writing the poem and the poem I'm thinking is about holding space for loss, that that's what we do is hold space for loss. I felt like the poem just kind of flipped it around back on me. And suddenly I was looking into the bowl of the poem Hmm. and there was, there was loss for me. And I think that loss could be whatever comes into your mind when you're reading the poem, because we all, we all go through times of loss. We all go through times where we think that, you know, we think things are going in one direction and then we don't know why, but they don't. And there's so many emotions that go with that. It could be anything, shame, anger, all of the, all of the, all of the parts of grief. So I was surprised when I looked at the bowl of the poem and saw my loss and it, it like spoke to me and was like, you know, you have to remember your loss, your grief. You have to hold space for grief just as much as you have to hold space for joy. Um, you know, euphoria, all all of the really powerful, you know, juicy feelings that we love to talk about. You know, we, we also need to talk about the or hold space, not even talking. And I think a poem can do that. A poem can say something in a very powerful way that sort of honors what that means. And it, you know, it's said to me, you know, we, we, you, you have to remember where you would have loved, where, where you would have held on and you don't, and you lost that, but, you know, but the next part isn't written. I don't know what the but is. That, that is what that's in the third stanza that I can't write. That's someone who's reading it to write but being able to be in that moment was an important part of writing that poem
0: I bet and it's it's got to be hard to being a mother and and having kids of your own extrapolating these experiences where you're you're very vulnerable and you're thinking about your own kids and you're thinking about you can almost put yourself there almost not you know and man I, I and i love that poem i the the image of of what the kid's hand could grab because you always see like kid like you think about babies they're like grabbing fingers that you grabbing is one of the first things they're supposed to be able to do and it's yeah. uh it's very poignant um it, you you talked about poetry being a great vehicle for you to process things emotionally um when something like this happens and you are feeling vulnerable, do you process immediately? Like, do you need to get it out so it doesn't wreak havoc on your 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 emotional centers? Or do you give it time to digest and, and, and sort of think about it before you approach the subject?
1: Oh, no, I, I, you know, I'm writing things on napkins in the back of my hand and <laughs> you know, in my iPhone, I'm like speaking while I'm driving sometimes, because that's, you know, that's when I'm like, oh, and it's not so much that I'm like, oh, I got to hold on to this so that I can put it into a poem. It's like, the, I oh, this is it. This is the thing. This is the thing I need to say. And, it, and maybe it becomes a poem and maybe it doesn't. But those are often the things that I'm pulling from when I do write a poem. And, you know, even in my phone, like my notes list you know, you have that notes app that your phone comes with. I don't use, I use very little of my phone. It's like talking, texting and the notes app, because that has like fractions and pieces of just pre poems, you know, hanging out in there. And I, I, you know, I'm Italian, so I probably don't think enough before I speak or write a poem. Um, But that that's part of you know, that's part of my passion. And so, you know, that's why part of my process is to like, do it and put it out there and then just kind of engage with it, you know, like work work with it or, you know, figure out where it's going to go.
0: Sure. Sure. Uh, We have a question from uh, Mike Hammer who asks, um, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase this question just a little bit, Uh, but the, essentially, do you, are, are like joy and sadness and loss are those bigger things that you use writing to build the scaffolding to get up to, or do you start from those places and, and, and work your words outward?
1: I almost feel like I need to read that question again. Um, I can, I can I, read
0: it. I'll, I'll read a verbatim so you can okay. see how he put it. Cause I, yeah. <laughs> um, so he, so he says, do you feel happiness and joy or sadness and loss? are bigger things you connect to when writing? Do you normally start from a place of joy when jotting down potential lines and skeletons for poems? Or do you start from a place of sadness, usually jotting down lines of pain and regret and sadness?
1: I think for me, they are often both present at the same time. So maybe like my brain needs to needs to be able to work with whatever is surfacing at that time, but I, I don't ever really feel like I can start with joy without understanding that joy is still going to, you know, be, ha- have this connective tissue that it is bound to some other type of grief, kind of like a birth and a loss. It's, you know, it's a little bit of both for me. Yeah.
0: Okay. And my apologies to Mike, my paraphrase missed your, <laughs> I, I realize you're asking, is it grief or is it happiness and you know i I didn't i didn't get that in there um okay so to to the poem midwifing loss it, it's for people that aren't you know you can't see it on here but there's two stanzas and the second stanza i think is is incredibly tragic because the first is is more narrative and kind of describes sets up the situation but the second stanza just bam 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 image 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 and um so how did you arrive? Did you pick these images? And do you extrapolate your client's futures? Like, d- did you keep in touch with this woman? You know, what
1: happened? Sometimes I keep in touch with them. Um, you know, a lot of times that is up to them because, you know, I'm there in a, as a professional and, you know, I have to stay connected to other other professionals or other poets like it it, you know when when you work in this field because it is like a lot of heart and soul work and you can't get enmeshed with your client I can't have a need to stay in touch with her find out how she's doing or how's it going because it just really trivializes everything and would you know kind of stamp out any any type of fire that had had kind of come from, from that experience for her or for me. So, you know, sometimes I'm putting that experience in a poem because I'm not going to stay in touch with her. Sometimes I'm asking her, is it okay if I write about that, that time, you know, because I want to write about that time. And do I have your permission to do that? Like, do I feel that that's appropriate? um because you know that's a, that was an intimate experience and that's her story you know that's that's my experience of being with her story but you know i feel like to to honor that and to out of respect for that you know that would require some communication so um how did i arrive at some of those images i i really feel like it just was a mirror like i feel like the second stanza is is a mirror of the first stanza it it just you know it's kind of like the lens, like shifts and focuses and pans out, and then, you know, for me, I I really feel like I, I'm I'm looking at, you know, something that I lost, and it was already there because it was already there in the first stanza, so I didn't have to recreate that. Hmm.
0: Okay, um, it, you're you have a background in music, you're a trained musician, uh, and. Uh, and, and you focus on musicality. It's 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 right on your website. It's you know, and and your your work does it does hum even if it's not singing actively. It's still got a ditty in the background. So how, so, what role does music play, and and how do you go about shoring up the pacing of your poems?
1: Well, I my parents um gave all of us music lessons as children. So my mother played the piano and she taught all of us to play the piano, but Before we learned to play the piano I I can remember laying underneath our piano and um, listening to her play so kind of just feeling some of those you know, some of the music kind of like settling down on top of me and I can see the, her foot pumping the pedals. And, you know, that was my earliest experience with music and probably, you know, my, my pre-memory of music is maybe her playing or singing. You know, my mother is an artist, she's a watercolor artist. And so she always um, was a big supporter of the arts. My sister's an artist. She did the cover art for the book. Um, so um you know, I I feel like being raised in a, you know, and and we're from a small town. So, you know, we were, we were free to run around our town and dig in the dirt and, you know, build stuff. And, you know, I bring home kittens that you find in a field and, um, you know, carving pumpkins, like all of that, you know, that music is part of like all of my life. And so when, you know, my parents, you know, they put all of us through classical training. I think that there's something about learning. It's kind of like form for poetry, you know, learning about music, learning about theory, learning about, you know, what, you know, you start to, in some ways it's like, when you learn a language, the first thing is you're like, oh, it doesn't sound like music anymore. Now it sounds like notes on a page or, you know, like if you, if you didn't speak Spanish and you learn Spanish instead of just hearing all this music, suddenly you just hear somebody on the plane asking their child, like, do you want a blanket? You know what I mean? So I think, you know, learning, um, learning an instrument or interacting with that instrument, there was, you know, a lot of times I did not want to practice, and my daughter's here and she knows how often she did not want to practice. So I became my mother that would make her practice. But once you kind of get to the place where you are able to really learn some of those, you know, fundamental things, then you can kind of like transcend above that and get into that place where now I'm not looking at the notes on the page and now I'm just playing. And um, and I will tell you, like having a child is like that. Childbirth is like that. You know, for me, the births of my children were very, it's like a transcendence where, you know, I didn't, I didn't need pain medication. That wasn't something that I chose for myself because I really enjoyed the birthing process. I enjoyed allowing my body, you know, kind of transcend into this place where your body just does it. It's really cool. And poetry is like that, you know, where you go to school, like there were definitely times where I'm in school and I was like, oh, this just killed all the joy of my what I thought I liked poetry until I went to school, and then i I had to be out of school for a little while and now I've really gone back and felt like I wish I would have paid better attention um and you know that that learning those things studying studying other poets, engaging with other work, being in workshop. And, you know, learning, learning form is an important part of being able to get to a place where you have that, you know, that the poem can kind of, you know, use the container of the poet to kind of transcend out into the world. Like, to me, that is the poetry that I really love to read and engage with. I, I hope that that is what is occurring in my poetry.
0: Yeah. So I know this isn't the most important part of the interview, but that means you gave birth with no epidural seven times.
1: Oh, no, I gave birth with no, epit- well, I had one C-section Whoa. and then I did not have, I had no pain medication for three. So, and then three of my kids are bonus kids. Those are my step kids. And yeah. they came to me, they, they are my children from another mother, but they are my children as well. And they are part of um, my second marriage. We're a blended family of nine. So we have, we have seven, my husband and I have seven together.
0: Okay. And and I, I, knew, I knew you had seven kids. I didn't know what the breakdown yeah. was.
1: <laughs> yes, but actually, the mom that I was with last night, she just had her seventh. Wow. So people are still having seven kids now. That you know, that's going to kind of make it sound like all of the people that I work with are you know having seven kids and you know rural places. But you know, we we work with people who have one who choose to have one or two or you know like, like mm-hmm. it all different kind of people are are giving birth in all different kind of ways. So it's it's you know much more about the process and the connection to the process than it is about, you know, there, you know, how, what you did and how you got there.
0: Mm-hmm. It's 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 nice hearing you apply form to poetry. Because I think a lot of people approach poetry as like, oh, this is a transcendent experience. But you have transcendence to compare it to and you will hammer, you use use form and craft to, to whip it into shape. Um, is, is that, is that, is, do you think that's tough to teach? Do you think it's difficult to connect the technical with that extreme emotional place? And do you think that poetry is the best vehicle for exploring something as significant as, you know, giving birth and motherhood?
1: I definitely, I think poetry is a great vehicle for that, but not the only one. And I do feel like form is very important. It's an important part of, um, you know, really being able to engage with your work um, and being, you know, like it's part transcendence, but it's also, you know, rooted in form. And, um, you know, I feel like this, this, I mean, shows up in other art forms as well and music and art and painting and poetry um, often I see a deep connection of, of both.
0: Okay, cool. And, and do you think, since, you know, so much of your work involves thinking about and, and giving birth to the next generation, do you think there's an intergenerational power to both writing and, and what you do? Like, like, is, do you think poetry is, it transcends generations? Do you think that generations- how do you see them feeding off each other and
1: absolutely i do i feel the poetry transcends generations yes i also i mean the generations cultures languages races genders um but i also feel that um you know as you know, you're in different seasons of life. I'm not the same person this year that I was five years ago, or that I will be five years from now. So, the people that are a season behind me, I I really value what those people are saying, um, like my children, and the people that are a season ahead of me, um, I really value what I'm I'm you know learning from them, or how I'm engaging with them and their work, and especially in poetic circles. Um, you know, to have intergener- intergenerational poets and just all different kinds of people. You know, when we come into a writing circle, we are, we're poets, we're writers, and we meet in that place. And, you know, we bring our history, we we bring our age, we bring our experiences with us. But, you know, I, I am also in, engaging with poets that don't write anything about birth, that have never given birth, maybe cannot give birth. Um and um, finding a lot of value in that experience. Hopefully they feel that too, but I definitely do. Um, And, you know, there have definitely been times where, and, you know, as I was pulling this book together, I was probably almost done with it. And I said to Pauletta, "Um, nobody's going to want to read a bunch of poems that a woman wrote about giving birth. And she said, well, nobody will if you don't. Nobody cares if you don't, you know, and that really said something to me that, you know, I also need to kind of not be thinking about what everybody else is going to feel and how they're going to engage with my work. Cause that's their journey. You know, that's their story that, you know, everybody may not pick up every single thing and feel that they're engaging with something. And yet what we're doing when we engage with each other's work is we're we're engaging in this thing that we all share. It's like that, that thing that kind of binds us together as, as people, So. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that sometimes it's not even about influence, sometimes it's a rejection of because I always like taking taking literary survey courses, because every time you did, regardless of what country you're in, these movements were usually informed by what came immediately before them, like the pre-Raphaelites were rejecting the mannerists. They thought they were too mechanical and they're like, you know what, we're going to have extravagant detail and we're going to go back to like the old Italian styles. And, um, you know, and, and each, every 20 to 30 years, it seems like people are getting fed up with what was coming before them and, you know, and whatever's fueling that is just a negation of, you know what I mean? Um, so, and, and, you know, I don't know, my, my kid's not a teenager yet, but (laughs) I've heard that there's some rejection that goes along with that too.
1: (laughs) Oh, of course they will. They do, they need to, they have to, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, my son is here too, Quentin, and we've had conversations about poetry, he's a very philosophical person, and, um, you know, he's a young boy, and, you know, he'll engage with my work, but he'll give me feedback that nobody else can, and he'll reject things that maybe I should reconsider, you know, so, you know, like, being, but also, like, I'm, I'm right here right now, I am, you know, that I am today the Ohio Poet of the Year, and, you know, 10 years from now, they're going to wonder why. But today, this is where, where I am. So we're, I'm being in this moment in today and um, also, you know, continuing to want to evolve and be a part of that process. And, you know, hopefully I can depart from things that I should depart from as I get older and and maybe not. Maybe I can be a conservationist and hold on to things that we need to, make, you know, fight them about that we're not going to let go of these things. I don't know, but I I really do love being a part of that. Process in that journey
0: yeah that's um and what do you want to know about Erica today in twenty twenty two owing for the fact knowing that you'll you'll change eventually, but your work and you as a writer today, what do you want everyone to know
1: um first, I want everyone to know that i you know i'm I'm grateful to be among you that you know I'm here because you're here um And, and, you know, I look forward to staying on this, on this path and on this journey together. I will say, like, I think during COVID, you know, poets were some of the people that were gathering in circles and, you know, we're all kind of going into shock, but we're all talking to each other. We're writing poems, we're speaking to each other, we're keeping ourselves awake, we're keeping ourselves connected. And, um, you know, I, I hope that we, continue to do that I hope that we continue those literary traditions and that we you know honor the work that that we do and and why poetry is so important and why poetry matters I mean they I have to say thank you to the Ohio Poetry Association thank you to Chuck Sammons for all the work that he's done in his um, years of being president Amy Jo Zook for all that she did to um, deliver things to my home um, via, you know, the pony express basically. Um, so I mean, it, it, it is, it is just really cool to me to be a part of this, um, you know there's there's writers here that represent a lot of cool stuff that's happening there's you know there's sitwell's night that ellen austin lee runs pauletta hansel has ongoing draft to craft classes um you know there's there's creative vision there's there's so many things happening and opportunities for people to get connected in that and to maybe start writing maybe you've never even written before but you you feel called to be a part of that and um and I guess I would encourage everyone to to do the to do that to meet me there, read my work, talk to me about it. I'd like to talk to you about yours and continue the conversation.
0: Awesome. And and I think Ellen Austin Lee uh, represents a whole bunch of people here. She said we're grateful for you and your work, and oh, you. we're all better off for having hunger and you in the community. So thank you yeah. so much for writing this book and submitting it and being a part of being a part of that, that group of people. Thank you. Um, So would you like to, uh, I'd like to wrap up by having you read some of your work, uh, representative of your collection, and then we'll be, we'll be done here.
1: Yeah, I didn't know, um, I wasn't sure how much time we had, so I just picked um, a couple of those. Um, I thought I would, um, well, I'll read two. Do I have time to read two?
0: Yes, yeah, you could probably read, you know, three to five
1: ish okay um well i will read let me think so i'll start by reading this poem um my like i had said you know my children are some of my greatest teachers and um this is a poem let me make sure i'm turning to the right page Mm that I wrote about um, an experience that I had with my son while he was learning to speak. And I was fascinated with the way that he, I mean, as a poet, I was fascinated with how he was learning the language that they don't, children don't just parrot the language back to you, but they actually take it in and they make some of their own words. I'm sure, you know, some of that as a dad, like if you've ever written down some of the things that your kids have said, or, you know, you're kind of like, how did, how did you come up with that? That is so fascinating. So um, this is a poem about um, that experience. And also just the responsibility that I felt is like, I'm, I'm teaching a human being, like how to talk, how to, you know, he's listening to me and taking in his world. So this is called the naming of things. A repetition of sound becomes the utterance that becomes a word for a red feathered creature my baby has discovered in a fir tree where it sits inside the branches shrouded with pine needles and snow. Bird, I say aloud when he points his little finger at what quietly observes him from within the tree. Bird, I say again crouching down beside him, mesmerized at the way his blue eyes pull everything in, while the red bird holds his gaze within the branches. We must name these things for each other, the wild creatures called love, need, loss. I will tell you what it is when you see your red heart flitting in front of you on the branches, and how your eyes will sparkle even as it flies away. Um, And this next poem is another poem that was inspired by something one of my children said to me in the car one day. This is the poem um, called, My Daughter Asks About the Border Wall. Chances are we are dying. There's no more real food to eat. The water is contaminated. We are in airplanes traveling for work more than we are in our bodies. We teach our children to stop crying when we leave them and reward them for learning to sit still, sleep alone. Today, my daughter asked, what happens to the babies who are pulled from their mothers at the border wall? When I asked, she said, What she meant is how do they get the milk from the mother's breasts to the babies? Who feeds them? So that poem, you know, I, I wrote that after listening to my daughter, you know, talk about her experience was something that she probably just overheard happening in the news or hearing me talk about it, hearing my husband talk about it. And I think that was something that really deeply affected all of us. And yet to hear my child basically have, you know, she didn't, she didn't ask like, why are they doing that? And, you know, that to me said that, you know, she has an understanding that there are evil forces in the world that can take children from their mothers, and you know, as parents, I think you try to protect your children from all pain. And that, that was a moment where I realized I can't, um, and that I maybe shouldn't. And that, um, it's more about talking to her, answering the question that she's asking, which is probably a question that we should all be asking, you know, the, why, um, I am going to um also read this poem um i so I'm from an italian American family, and my my family on both sides my mother's family is German, and my grandmothers especially had a big influence in my life. I feel like they're they're part of my pre memories. my grandmother on my mother's side um, was who actually just died this year at 101. She died on my birthday and, um, we were always very close and she would come down and she bathed all of her grandchildren. She gave them all their first bath. And I feel like I remember that on some level being tiny and naked and being cupped in these very confident hands. My, my grandmother was a labor and delivery nurse. And so, there was just something about, you know, her pouring water over me that, you know, that affects how I interact with the world. Cause that, those are the people that are interacting with me and they teach me how to interact with the world. And that's how I write poetry. That's where poetry comes from. To me, poetry is everywhere. I mean, po- there's a poem in our conversation, Jeremy, we're not, we can't talk about it because it, it doesn't have words right now, but this, this experience, these people here, everybody that showed up and we're all experiencing this conversation at the same time. And that's a poem. And um, so, you know, I feel that, you know, that, and I was also thinking about my, my father's mother um, is a grandmother that I never knew because she died when he was a year old she had cancer when she got pregnant and um, chose to have her baby, even though she knew that she wasn't going to be able to be there to parent him. And she died when he was a year. And yet she is very alive in my life because she's alive in my father and, um, and in everybody who holds her memory And, you know, being a child, I felt connected to her through my, my other family members through certain behavioral things that, you know, I've heard said about her that I see in my father and, um, and in, you know, my family. And I don't, who, I don't think she would have ever thought that, um, her granddaughter would be sitting here in October on pregnancy loss and awareness day, um, talking about her but I am. So, you know, it helps me to remember that the things that we do today matter far beyond our lifetime now. We don't even know, but you know what we do, what we write about, the conversations that we have, the people that we're connected to matter. And so, um, you know, being that my family is Italian, I I remember thinking about those things and I was rocking my son to sleep one night and um thinking about what it must have been like for my my grandmother, my great-grandmother, to have brought her whole family to the United States from Italy, only to have a lot, they faced a lot of hardship and a lot of loss. My, my grandfather was in World War II, he was in the first wave on D-Day, and made it home, you know, that's why we're here. And I thought, did she ever ask herself, oh, why did I come here? You know, why, why did I do this? Was this the right thing to do? You know, here's my, here's my son fighting a war for another country. And yet that story was never repeated in my family, you know, and I think like as women and as mothers, we don't tell those stories. We talk about, we just keep going. We just light a fire. We bake some bread. We set the table and we keep going. And it's that power. And even, you know, when we're talking about poetry, you know, that um, intergenerational experience that transcends generation that that lasts. So this poem that I'm going to read is titled My Great Grandmother Tells Me in a Dream to Write About Her Grief. When I was your mother, and you were at war, your body was a pair of pants left crumpled on the field. I picked them up, and then you were the egg yolk from breakfast scraped from the plate. I wasn't hungry. Every time I closed my eyes, you were my little boy chasing his ball into the street while the war came barreling down the road, intoxicated. In Italian, we say, I miss you, this way me monkey you are missing from me i have a place set for you at the dinner table i brought to america if you ever come back i don't know where home is but i have this table it was the only thing on the boat with legs still standing
0: Hmm.
1: and I have one more poem that I'll share. So I'm I'm working on a new collection. I have it pretty close to being done. So I'm going to start looking for where this collection can find a home, where to publish this group of poems. Um, And this poem is about um, how, and this, there's a line in the poem that says there is a mother in everything. and that, you know, part, part of, you know, our journey here is to honor that and also to discover it at the same time. So this poem is called Echphrasis of a Uterus. Mm-hmm. The shape appears on the side of our old barn where a patch of shadow has left an impression into the gray weather-beaten wood. It was made by an oak tree, older yet, with branches elegantly arched like woody umbrellas, standing before the barn, casting a remarkably female form into the wall like a sunprint, the subtraction of light illuminating that familiar pear-shaped organ with two stems that sprout from the sides into round, ovary-like circles. I remember how we once wrapped chains around the dangling legs of a Jersey calf, half born from his mother, stuck between this side and the other side of the moon, pulled him with the tractor onto the floors where he lay in a pool of fluids and blood, eyes open, stunned, until his mother woke him with her lowing. Beneath the shadows, there is a mother inside every living and unliving thing her image branded into our sides her shape the mold we had to break the sound of her calling resonating into our bones heavy in the rays of midday sun Hmm. thank you
0: that's beautiful um erica thank you again for agreeing to do this and it was wonderful hearing you read. Everybody, please give Erica some love, whether you want to clap for real or, or emoji it. Um, throw your love into the chat so she can read how great she is. You know, share, <laughs> share your appreciation for her being with us today. And thanks again, Erica. And i want to turn it back over to Chuck. Thank you.